Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. There are many different ways to explain uh, the duality in our existence, the two-sided nature um, that exists within man. Um, some explain it by way of the nefs, and they explain the nefs as the lower half and the unified self as the higher half or the higher self. Some talk about the part of us that is entirely involved in sustainability. Sustainability of what? Sustainability of ourselves. Sustainability of our passions. Sustainability of our needs. Being able to do that which is pleasure for us and to avoid that which is not. The, 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 the unified self, the higher self, begins to lose interest in the self and the sustainability of the pleasures of the self. In other words, food and lust and housing and all of the things you need to take care of yourself and becomes more and more attuned to the needs of others. More and more attuned to what goes on outside of the self. The self becomes more of a pass-through. A pass-through of what? A pass-through for Allah's qualities to enter into the world. And when we can get to the point where we ourselves become a place, a portal, that Allah's qualities pass through, the real change begins to happen in our life. Now, the people <coughs> who are involved in the sustainability of their life and the sustainability of their needs and constantly doing things that aid the progression of themselves in achieving their needs, they have very little time for anything else because they have become overwhelmingly busy taking care of themselves. And taking care of themselves seems to be the biggest job in the world. And these, these people can't seem to get enough. The beggar who has a dollar needs two dollars. The millionaire who has a billion needs two billion. The amounts are not what matter. It's the drive and the attitude that is what matters. Now, the big difference between those who are busy sustaining themselves and those who are busy trying to become a portal for Allah's qualities to pass through so that they can do Allah's work, the big difference is the people who are constantly in the mode of taking care of themselves 
don't see what the other people are trying to do. They don't understand it. They can't connect to it because they only have connection to that which their senses can interact with. The ones who are trying to become portals for Allah's qualities have entered into the world of the unseen. They've entered into the non-elemental world that is beyond that which we touch, hear, see, feel, and taste. They begin to understand that there's another component to existence than just our bodies and just the things that we accumulate. Now, when the people who are involved in merely sustaining their lifestyle look at it, their analysis doesn't include an analysis of the unseen. And they're incapable when they're so busy dealing with the elemental, they're incapable of getting perspective on the unseen. The ones who are attempting to understand the unseen have had certain experiences in their life or have been exposed to certain teachings in their life which have somehow explained to them that that which is not elemental, that which you can't see, that which you can't touch, that which you can't hear, has more impact on your existence than the things you can touch and hear and see. For instance, they've somehow felt compassion. And this compassion so overwhelmed their being that all of a sudden other things became not relevant. They felt love in such a profound, strong way. And when I say love, I'm not talking about romantic love. I'm talking about divine love. Love for everything. Love for a blade of grass. Love for a tree. Love for humanity. They've felt this love. Love for Allah's creations. They felt this love in such a strong, powerful way that it pushed aside their need, their needs that they had prior to that experience. There's an old blues song that has an amazing line in it. Forgive me for what I did because that was before love came to town. And that's the point. When love comes to town, everything changes. Because we're altered by it. Our being becomes different. Now, this kind of love sometimes happens in a very, very good marriage. This kind of love happens between people, happens in a context of person to person. And that's where it starts. 
and then it becomes elevated and goes beyond that to becoming a universal kind of love. It doesn't, religion doesn't stand in its way. Sex doesn't stand in its way. Sects don't stand in its way. Races don't stand in its way. Languages don't stand in its way. Nothing stands in its way because it loves what God created. And God created everything. And for us to rise to that point of view, for, for us to begin to understand that level of being, it's a lot of things we have to give up. Because those things become obsessive, compulsive to our being. If we're involved in anger, resentment, lust, greed, and all of those qualities, it's like falling in a pit, and they consume us, and we can't escape from them unless we take an active measure to recognize those qualities and somehow run away from them. Now, (coughs) how is it that we are able to sustain those qualities of resentment and greed and anger when it should be self-evident to us that these are inappropriate qualities to carry. The way we do it is because man is susceptible to arrogance. And once arrogance enters man, then every act that he commits becomes somehow rationalized as being appropriate. Arrogance makes the worst things okay. Now, interestingly, Allah doesn't have the quality of humility. Why doesn't Allah have the quality of humility? Because Allah has no arrogance. Allah has no greed. Allah has no resentment. Allah is pure. So Allah doesn't need humility. Man, on the other hand, is susceptible to all of these qualities that are not godly. He's susceptible to all of Satan's qualities which have entered into this world and have entered into man. Now, in order to shift from the qualities that belong to Satan to the qualities that belong to Allah, we have to be relieved of arrogance. And how do we become relieved of arrogance? Through humility. So the great cure for making the step from the self-sustaining idea of existence to the unified idea of of existence is humility. Humility is sort of the petri dish for growing God's qualities in our self. It becomes that which allows the growth of those qualities within it. And without humility, we will always be susceptible to arrogance. 
So an important part of the makeup of ourselves is to become small. It wasn't by accident that Bauer called himself the Ant-Man, the smallest of creatures in existence. And if we are to be the children of the Ant-Man, doesn't it also mean that we also have the qualities that the ants have? Cooperation, doing for others, not caring about the sustainability of our own existence, but feeling for the sustainability of everybody else's existence. In understanding the nature of the non-elemental forces in existence, the non-elemental essences of things, the qualities. We have to understand that these qualities in man require a base of humility. Allah doesn't need that because he doesn't have arrogance. We need that because we do have arrogance. And arrogance comes in many, many, many different ways. There's physical arrogance, there's intellectual arrogance, there's wealth arrogance, there's fame arrogance, there's all kinds of arrogance. First, we think we need these things, but we don't see the true nature of them. And then what we're seeing finally is why do we want, why do people want fame? Because they're arrogant. Why do people want great, great, great wealth? Because they're arrogant. Why do people need to accumulate the world? Because they're arrogant and they want to somehow separate themselves from everybody else in the ways that are available to them, that they can see, hear, touch, feel, and taste. Because they can't understand separation through that which doesn't appear on the surface to be able to be accumulated. We can accumulate compassion, but nobody's going to see it. We can accumulate mercy, but nobody's going to see it. So if you have an arrogant nature, what's the purpose of an accumulation that other people can't see? There was a famous economist in the 18th, 19th century who wrote a book called Conspicuous Consumption. And it explained that there was another reason that people needed things or wanted things. And that was to show other people that they had them. And that gave as much satisfaction to a lot of people as actually the utilitarian use of those things. So he theorized correctly about this society that one of the things that keeps driving it 
this is this is over 150 years ago that keeps driving it is the need to show others your status the need to show others what you have what those people don't understand is the burden that you drop when you don't have to show others what you have when you no longer have that need to place yourself higher than others in this physical world. Because to do that is, by the way, a full-time job. And once you take that job on, you have no time for the truth, and you have no time for God in your life, because you're too busy accumulating what Allah's created, which doesn't belong to you anyway. It belongs to the Creator. We, sometime in our existence, have to begin to understand, and really understand, that all these elemental things that we accumulate in our lifespan can't be taken with us. But what can be taken with us is the things that we give away. If we give away mercy, that can be taken with us. If we give away compassion, that can be taken with us. If we give away love, that can be taken with us. Because that becomes part of what we are. That becomes part of who we are. That becomes our resonance and our essence. So what we need to work on is not carrying around bags of stuff, but carrying around essence. And what are the essences that we need to be carrying around? We need to be carrying around the essences of Allah that he has described for us, that he has told us about, that he has explained to us. And when we can do that, our lives change. Think about what the quality of arrogance is. Think about what the quality of greed is. Think about what the quality of jealousy is, what the quality of resentment is. If those are the things that drive you, then those are the things that you carry. Those are the things that you become in your essential essence. Now imagine the body falls away. And all that you're left with is your essential essence. And that essence is the way you've acted through your existence. That essence is the way you've performed your life. That essence is the qualities that you have become. Allah's qualities don't mix with Satan's qualities. So, what is sin? Sin is the accumulation of essence 
other than Allah. Sin is bringing into yourself and allowing into yourself arrogance and the things arrogance does, greed and the things greed does, resentment and the things resentment does, jealousy and the things resentment does, jealousy does, hastiness and the things hastiness does, and then they become what you are essentially. Your essence is what you are essentially. And in the world of non-form, in the world uh, that is non-elemental, in the world that exists after this world, the essences that are not Allah's can't move towards Allah. They move away from Allah. They are separate from Allah. They can't break into the barrier of the into the in, into the wall of compassion. They can't merge with mercy. They can't merge with love. They can't merge with truth. They can't merge with justice. Greed says for me, not for you. Greed doesn't say what's right is right. All of a sudden there's an exception. There's always an exception in all these qualities. And what is that exception? That exception is the person who has the qualities. All of a sudden everything are changed. The rules are changed for him. I've met so many people who say, I don't have to do this because. There's uh, the question of five times prayer and whether you should or should not do it. And some people will say, I'm in prayer all the time, whether they are or not. So there's there's no necessity for me to do that. And then there's people who are in prayer all the time who say, there is no pronouncement of my Lord that I will not follow. There is no dictate of my Lord that I will not follow. Now, what does that tell you about them? That they're anchored in humility. That they don't take for granted their exalted nature. That they don't walk around saying, I am. Allah is the only one who can say, I am. One of the names of Allah is I am that I am, without explanation. And it's up to us to understand that and to move towards that. So, in, in, in Buddhism, they say things like, before enlightenment, I carried wood and fetched water And after enlightenment, I carried wood and fetched water. Well, the point is that you can't see what's inside of people. You can only see what's outside. And a lot of people think that that's all there is 
to be seen. And those people, unfortunately, control the world right now. The ones who believe that what's outside is what Im- what's important. And they will try and force you to conform to their idea out of outside things. And the Quran says very clearly, there is no compulsion in religion. And why can't there be compulsion in religion? Because religion is surrender. And compulsion is the opposite of surrender. Compulsion is slavery. And, and, but it's not the kind of slavery that comes through surrender. And the only thing that's acceptable to Allah is that kind of surrender. So Allah's Abd, Abdallah, is the one who surrendered to him, not the one that is being forced to him. We can't force anybody else. We can't make people do internal things. We can only make them do external things. And if we're, if we're into forcing, very soon our ideas of religion become externalized and have nothing to do with insides because we can't see what's inside. And if we're in control and we want to see everything, then all the rules are outside rules. And those rules begin to mount and mount, mount and mount and mount until there are books and books and books of them. There's a movie <clears throat> that, if you have an opportunity to see it, you should. It's called Water. It's an Indian movie. It came out in the early 50s. And it's about a custom in uh, India where they used to sell young girls. And if their husband died, uh, they had a choice. They could either be burned on the pyre with him or go to a monastery. And the monasteries were full of little girls, 12, 13, 14 years old. And when Gandhi came along, there was an attempt to revise some of these customs, which were then part of the religion. And the movie ends with Gandhi stopping in a small town where one of these uh, monasteries exists. He's giving a speech. And at the end of the speech, he says, I used to think that the truth was God. And now I realize that God is the truth. And what he meant by that was that he used to believe that the religion was the truth. And now he realized that the religion is not necessarily the truth. That which is true, that which is godly, is what is the truth. And if the things that are customary within the religion don't meet the tests of godliness, then they should not be adhered to because they've been imposed by man on God's way. And so much of the religion in the world is an imposition 
of customs on God's way is an imposition of the way politically a certain society wants to do things on top of the religion so they can continue to do that. Each of us has to find our own way. Each of us has to stop giving ourselves exemptions from the truth. Each of us has to stop allowing ourselves to do things that are other than appropriate. We have to become pure in that we lose the arrogance that holds us in place and allows us to be the way we are, even though in moments of clarity we understand the fault in it. Those moments of clarity have to come more often. And when they come, we have to take advantage of them and instill them into our existence on a long-term basis. Each of us is given those moments of clarity. Each of us is given those moments when we see the truth. And when that happens, we have to take advantage and go in that direction. Because if we don't, those moments will cloud over and close on us. And we'll be back to our own arrogance. Humility is a very powerful thing. And we have to understand what it does for us and how it allows us to escape the burdens that this world puts on us that we somehow believe make us better, make us great, differentiate us from others. All the things that we're trying to do to differentiate ourselves from others are burdens for us. But we believe that the act of differentiation, the act of becoming famous, the act of becoming wealthy, the act of somehow lording over others is worth the burden that we carry until that burden becomes too much. And then the point comes where we have to lay that burden down. But we've been carrying it for so long that it's become so close to us and so much a part of us that if we try to lay it down, our identity disappears because we have identified ourselves with our burden for such an extensive period of time. So we need to restructure ourselves while we still have the strength to do it. We have to restructure ourselves while we still have the breath to do it. We have to restructure ourselves and we have to understand the great benefit that humility is to our life and what it can do for us. And when that happens, then we begin to treat everybody the same. Then we begin to see everybody as the same then we don't hold ourselves up so many rungs on the ladder. It is said 
by Muhayyadin that Allah is the poet to the poet, the beggar to the beggar, and the king to the king. What's that mean? It means that whatever you can do, he can do better. And he does better. But if you are the servant, then he is a better servant to you. If you are the king, he'll suppress you because he's a greater king than you are. But if you learn how to be the servant, then he will be a greater servant to you. So, a lot of these things are pretty commonly known, but not very commonly understood, and not very commonly lived. We have to begin living, understanding that as we give to Allah, and as we give to our fellow man, Allah assists us more and becomes our helpmate. And that's the way you do it. Through open hands that give, you are given. So each of us, we need to open our hands to each other. We need to open our arms to each other. We need to open our hearts to each other. And as that happens, we get more love. We get more compassion. We get more mercy. So, mercy is gotten by giving it away. Compassion is gotten by giving it away. Love is gotten by giving it away. And these are the, t- the things that truly sustain us, that truly bring us happiness, that truly take us to exalted places. And exalted places are our birthright because Allah promised us that we are the closest to him and he has given us of himself. He's Rahman and he's given us the ability to have Rahman. He is Rahim and he has given us the ability to have Rahim. So don't settle for the gifts that the world has to give. Hold out for Allah. The Walis, the friends of Allah, held out for Allah. Rabia held out for Allah. The Prophet held out for Allah. We should also hold out for Allah. So inshallah our world view will become such that we're not blinded by the glitters of the world by the fascinations of the world. We're not pulled by the magnetisms of the world. We become purer and purer. So the only thing that interests us are the qualities of Allah and that our life surrenders to those. Amin, amin. Ya Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.